You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we are completing our Stephen King of Palooza with the 1991 Stephen King short story adaptation classic. Not a classic. Unsung? Very. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sometimes they come back, ellipses. Because there's a second part called Sometimes They Come Back Again. Sometimes they come back again, and sometimes they're still coming back, and they never left. So can they really be back? The fourth all-greaser sequel. Aren't so many horror 50s bully stories, sometimes they come back, just basically? I've seen a story. So full disclosure, I've never uh, seen this film before. This is a first time watch for me, and I hadn't even heard of it until... Well, I'm, I'm, I, I, the title sounds so fucking familiar. But and I've, the one sheet's probably like vaguely familiar to you too, but maybe, like, but I definitely have never seen this before. Like yeah. I have no, I had no idea what this movie was about. And once we got into it, I did recognize it either with an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and also similar tropes, but the zombie greaser. And it's that rockabilly dead look that is really popular with certain sub cultures within the horror community, right? So like mm-hmm. this, this is filled with all kinds of iconography that we as horror fans are super familiar with particularly within the last 20 years which i think that rockabilly thing really came back oh completely not only with just with bands and like zombie and the skeletons and god knows what other bands mm-hmm. i have in in mind right now um but that sound the look the cars definitely classic cars are still somewhat affordable so i think that's part of their a particular draw. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the Rockabilly Weekend in Las Vegas that happens yeah. every year. That is is a huge, awesome thing. The clothes, the yeah. hairstyles. Yeah. As much as men's barbershops have become a thing, as far as uh, people would blame it on the hipsters and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's just everything all becoming new again. Like the bell bottoms were becoming a second hand craze mm-hmm. when the grunge movement was happening in the nineties and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's just the natural progression i think of of the backwards and forwards of fashion coming in and out but yeah this is is a distinctly important and interesting era because of all the things i mean seatbelts who the fuck needed a seatbelt did it even need to have french engraved on it were people going to get sued for that no sued for not wearing them no beat your kids Beat your kids. <laughs> and this also would have been the era in which a young Stephen King was growing up. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So a lot of his tropes, I wrote a little list out of his, like, back to school is almost a trope. That's one of my, the things I'd like to talk about is just how this is such a good back to school movie. Mm-hmm. But Like, like the, Carrie. That might as well be a, a Stephen King like trope. Like Carrie wasn't a back to school movie. What was the other one? It was Christine. Christine was the back to school movie, yeah. wasn't it? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's so many elements of school. Mm-hmm. School, walking home from school, your books, the teachers. He spent time as a teacher as well. And being an English student, he probably spent a, like an 
extra amount of time in schools and、mm. libraries, and maybe he wasn't the most popular jock in school, right? So, no. Have you ever seen like really old photos of Stephen King where he looks like a fucking escaped caveman or something like <laughs> a, like Encino Man type thing? <laughs> He's a, he vacillates between Poindexter and yeah, Encino Man. Yeah, li- pictures of him in the in in the late sixties. He looks particularly wild and woolly. Mm-hmm. Um, I just so happened to see a recent, fo- well, a, a recent, a photo of that era of him uh, in um, just when he sold his first book, and his college had said like, "Hey, look, one of our own just like sold the book," and there was a picture of him, and he looked just wild, like he looked like a dude that probably didn't always wear a shirt or shoes. <laughs> And that's cool back then.、Mm, it certainly was that sort of、uh, you know early bohemians, but he does have an, an affection for these types of tropes and that greaser mentality. We used to get all over Christine. That's who.、Yeah. That's who that main character is basically turning into. These bullies, these ghost bullies. Ghost bullies. Ghost bullies is also like a thing. Portals to other dimensions.、Mm-hmm. Things that only the main character can see, and you、mm-hmm. start to doubt their sanity. As do they.、Mm-hmm. And、um, housecoat nightmares. That's something that you see. In- that was one that I've never heard of that you made today. I made that up today. I don't know if anyone else has written that down in the in the multiverse of tropes and, and tropedom. Yeah.、Um, But that reminded me a lot of Pet Cemetery, where somebody's traipsing around in a house coat, having visions and shit. Oh yeah. Now you had said something very interesting to me, which is, makes it even more embarrassing that I missed this. This had a theatrical release. This、yeah. has the aesthetic of something that would not have a theatrical release. This kind of looks like they spent the same amount of money as. You know, like the the Shining TV adaptation, like it has that look to it, and a lot of similarities story wise too. But yeah, it's a Dino De Laurentiis joint, right? So this is up there with King Kong, which features on the television in this, yeah. And、uh, more appropriately, the Stephen King adaptations of Silver Bullet, which we just covered, and、uh, Cat's Eye, which this was originally going to be a short portion of, but. We should just we should do Cat's Eye, but it's not like as horror-y, where this is sort of just on the cusp of being horror enough. I mean, even Silver Bullet's more gory than this. True, I think that I would as so long as we have the scenes of the greasers,、uh, and then we have a scene of a of a dismemberment, which no one in town seems to spend any time. I mean, we do care. No, Chip was a douche. <laughs> Chip was a douche. Chip was a douche, and like he wore his hat backwards, and that's always suspect. Listen, there was a time in my high school days where I had a backwards hat. I don't like to talk about it, but it did happen. I just want to put that on Front Street for anyone who knew me when I was like fourteen years old, and you know, I was flirting with that look. Uh, yeah, no, Chip was a douche, and I guess they wouldn't matter if they found him in eighteen pieces in the river.、Uh, but this film. Uh, I think that some of the effects that seem to really relish in the fact that there,、um, a lot of practical effects and a- animatronics because one of the greasers looks like he was so damaged. The other two seem to have gotten out dead, but relatively unscathed. Another dude looks like he is like missing complete chunks of his head. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Almost a skeleton. And he's the one that's more reluctant to show off this zombie look because、mm-hmm. they can pass. Yeah. For 
much like Wes passing for a day walker. They can <laughs> pass for a human, but we are totally getting ahead of ourselves. We are in the depths of the Stephen King of Palooza. It's sadly coming to a close. I have a feeling that we could do Stephen King and Stephen King related shit just to the end of the fucking universe and then pick it back up with other horror movies when we run out of it. I mean, like, I want, we rewatched it. We're going to go watch it again. And this reminded me a lot of it. And then I watched the first episode of Nosferatu, which was on Shudder. And that's Joe Hill, same mm-hmm. family, different guy. But oh my God, did it remind me so much of things in this film, just the, the feeling of kids and the way things look through kids' eyes. Mm. Are you going to see the new it? Yeah, I'm going to go see the new, the new film. I'm, I'm always, uh, I'm always down. I liked the the remake. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I'm always happy when horror is successful. Um, I mean, uh, you know, that's it, like when I like when horror is successful and it's not just like a typical, you know, Blumhousey type thing. I like that this has a lot of pedigree and I like that it's getting people excited about, you know, Pennywise again. And and again, like I have like this mentality with it. And I don't know when I would get like controversial or something like that, but I mean, like, I thought that the the original it and it was in s- desperate need of an update. Like, I th- I love obviously Tim Curry's a very exciting performance and it's iconic and everyone loves it and so do I. But outside of that performance, I don't think that that <laughs> miniseries really has a lot to offer people, especially the back half. I'm very interested to see what the back half of this story in it is. Which is a aspect of the story that I don't love either. I love the first part of it. Um, the second part of the story is kind of. I'm very interested. So I'm, I like the adult's point of view better in the book when I originally read it. Mm. Um, but as far as this first film, I liked the the kids better too. The kids were really good. It's a great. It, it was. It was just a great. It was a solid movie. Like it yeah. was just a solid movie, and I'm glad it was successful. And I'm glad that it reinvigorated. Stephen King properties because it really did. Yeah, it like, really, really like, did. Aside from what Fl- work Flanagan's been doing, yeah, that's all sort sure. of happened in between that too, with the hype of it and the filming of the first half, and then there was seemed to be more Flanagan. Maybe maybe we'll do some Flanagan stuff for our next Stephen King Apalooza. I'll be down. I'll be down for that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you have anything on the slate? I know that you had had an Aurora teaser the last time we recorded. Yeah, the Aurora. Uh, uh, there's a little teaser trailer that came out. Um, I know that there's more trailers coming that'll mm-hmm. be more explicit. That'll show uh, interior art and stuff like that. But I, but yeah, for right now, if you go to any of my social media and you see uh, a, sort of like a gold and red triangle. Uh, that's Aurora stuff, and you can click on the teaser trailer and check it out. Uh, get an idea about what the story is going to be. It was a beautiful trailer. It was uh, I was really excited when I saw it. I didn't make it; somebody else did. So, like, yeah. So I was excited, but yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a cool story coming down the pipeline, and it's gonna be launched on Kickstarter. So, if you guys like me at all, toss it a couple bucks. You don't have to, but. <laughs> What typical creators? I know I, I've got some stuff coming down. I can't wait to hear when it's going to be released. But I mean, when it does, it'll probably be very that humble. Is it humble brag? Is that what the kids say? Humble brag, yeah, maybe, yeah, sort of, maybe but not even. When we're just like, I don't know, if it's if it's your cup of tea, if it's your cup of tea, sip. if you like it, you know, I'm always I'm shy because I know that um, people come to us for and for us for our horror expertise, and Aurora is very like Teresa I don't mind uh, plugging on the show a lot because it occupies that space 
mm-hmm. but like Aurora is not. It's like a pure superhero story, and it really is like, um, like like a Silver Age type story. Like it, we're talking about, like this is not gritty superheroes. I went. I was like, I don't want gritty. I don't want to see superheroes sitting on the toilet and having erectile dysfunction, which seems to be. The, I want things to look up to and to look up at. That's what I wanted. Yeah. So clean. We'll, yeah. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see. It might not be horror, but it's West nevertheless. I it mean, is. I think typical books, sometimes I feel weird because it's tangentially related because it's horror, but it's books, but whatever. I mean, yeah. I'm even shy to want to plug your mother's jewelry line of Death Becomes Her. It has the word death in it. So it's like horror, right? You're wearing some. I love the stuff that my mom makes. If you guys like um, jewelry, she makes like bracelets and necklaces. Of. I'm not wearing my bracelet today, uh, but I wear it all the time. I'm a, It's usually what's making a knock sound. If you hear a knock sound, yeah, a knock sound and stuff like rings, that. It's but it's cool. Bracelet. And my mom can make. She's made steampunk ones. She's made stuff that's like inspired by literature and, and ghost in the darkness ghost in the darkness that was a that was so beautiful like yeah. it was and again like she just comes up with these ideas and it's really they're really cute and they're like 15 bucks so it's like i don't know like yeah. if you're interested you can check out our social medias yeah check out our social media and stuff like them. that yeah uh she made me another one for my birthday and it's got a giant fucking skull on it i'm very excited to get it nice yeah nice. <laughs> anyway this particular film is the end of our stephen king palooza mm-hmm. but it does sort of like segue into what we're going to cover next which is trick-or-treat a really nice halloweeny film a nice uh heading back to school fall film heading into the halloween season Mm -hmm. so i think that like with the the kids and the bullies and the weird things that other people can't see and the doubting your own sanity i think that those sort of things go together as well as back to school I mean, I'm going back to school in a couple days. How do you feel about that? Are you excited? Pretty good, except I wish I had the legacy that this teacher has of having been kicked out of another school for violence against students, so all the students are scared. They only flirt at it a little bit. They they don't really tell the full story or the fallout of that, although you could put two and two together. If a teacher would have like lost his temper to that degree in front of their students, perhaps like threw a chair, smashed a chair or, or, or whatever he had supposedly done. I mean, that would loom large. It does one of those stories that purple monkey dishwasher escalates. Yeah. And then you just have this reputation as a real tyrant, which he probably just broke a ruler over desk, much like he does in the first day of school here. Yeah. Doesn't even last five minutes in class before out of pure anger. To be fair, he is dealing with a bunch of like, chattering jocks who are chanting their chants and if i were there i would also smash something because as loud and belligerent as a jock can be my superpower lydia is i can be louder and more belligerent than anybody (laughs) um so he loses it and you want to know that's the most fucked up thing about that he gets the kids' attention, but they still like Chip still eggs him on. Like you know, like how how juiced up on football would you have to be to know that it, that a teacher? You're apparently a teenager, even though every student in this class looks like they're thirty five. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you, Chip is knows that this teacher has a reputation as a dude that basically lost like his last teaching position from being a rage head immediately comes out doing his 
like best like fucking after school bully trying to let everyone know that this is a bird course Mm -hmm. and you know you're supposed to just let them it's like dangerous minds it's like you're not supposed to take this fucking class seriously yeah and then and then when he sees his teacher have like this fucking outburst he continuously eggs him on throwing an orange like like standing at the guy's car as he's trying to start his car and then just like you're dead you're dead like it, like, like Chip is either the dumbest person in the world because I would say like Chip has no fear. As like he's definitely has fear. So what is this? I think he's just going by the script. He's just doing like, and this happens a lot. Not only because of peer pressure, but just because you don't know what else to fucking do in high school. He's just following the script. Part that, and if I can get this guy to freak out, it'll I'll look pretty cool because I haven't done anything quote unquote because this is just me because everyone's so used to me having no filter or whatever. And if the teacher freaks out, they'll get yet another teacher and then they'll probably get passed because the teacher will just a have mercy on them. B be halfway through the semester, not know what to do and just pass everybody. They do that. They do flirt a lot with this, um, mob mentality in this film and the idea about people following social scripts in the same way that you have your 50s greasers back in well 1963 but they were still clearly greasers yeah we had that conversation about it was a tweet that i had seen from a friend of mine dave um talking about eras where somebody had sort of ragged on something because oh it's supposed to be taking place in the 70s but Oh, it's supposed to be taking place in the 70s, but clearly this is 1982 and it's so 70s. And he pointed out, Dave pointed out that a lot of these uh, cultural markers don't happen from the 1980 to 1989 mm-hmm. and 12 months, right? Yeah. Like these things bleed into and what we would colloquially think of as the 70s takes place up until perhaps even 73, 74 and yeah. this sort of stuff, like, because these kids died in 1963, sure, they're still greasers, because the 60s, as we remember them, still haven't taken hold. Yeah, and that is a good point. Also, this idea that, like, people will hold on to things. Like, if you if you decided your style uh, in 1958, let's say... Seen kid emo core. Oh, 58, okay, go on. 1958. So, yeah. no, okay, well, we could bring it up to a more modern take, where, like, you know, you were looking at seen kids in the early aughts, and and that kept and and people who were younger than that looked up to that look and so when they were like when they got a little older so it's like 2007 2008 the previous generation was like well that was what i always wanted to look like so i'm going to emulate that like the styles and the fashions that they thought that captured their imagination when they were young and their parents were still fucking buying their clothes basically and they didn't they couldn't express themselves and like and i think that like that is here. Like these guys would have like picked their style, like were idolized. What was quintessential cool. Uh, and from when they were younger stuck with it. And then they're like, well, this is just what I'm, I'm doing now. Like, yeah. like why punk's not dead every 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you said, like things are so cyclical, right? Like we kind of go from like short, short, tight clothes, short, tight, uh, black hair, like what we associate with punk and then that turns into loose fitting clothing and hippie culture and like long hair and this, that, and the other thing. And then it cycles back to whatever, right? So either you're like a punk in the 1980s or you're like a stormer kid in the 2000s 
whatever. Yeah. I did trip on it for like half a second, but then when you said that to me, I was like, oh, you know what? You're totally right. But these guys, um, when this uh, teacher, Jim, is like <laughs> goes back to the small town for a new start. This is not like he's he's not a Stephen King protagonist as writer. He's Stephen King protagonist as teacher, and and um, not unlike Jack Torrance. I saw someone liken this to a dry run for Jack Torrance. Yeah, because in the same way that D- Jack Torrance, much more so in the book than the the film, that that rage and madness is very deep below the surface. I mean, Jack Nicholson, like from the first reel, is like he's obviously nuts, but because it's Jack Nicholson, you can't help it. But um, that's more similar to Jack Torrance in the book. Yeah. Uh, in, oh, definitely. A Jim in this film, and when uh this guy shows up to this town it's like fucking immediate immediate he is having ptsd he is hearing trains he is having uh, as you said uh, uh house coat nightmares house nightmares. House nightmares he's in he's hallucinating old family film strips on the television in the static scene. and not even in the static in the king kong yeah 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 it's, it's a good scene and a lot of it all ends with run, Jimmy, run, which is what his brother screamed at him mm-hmm. back in 1963 when they were overtaken by this gang of bullies. Yeah, they were doing it was the old it was the oldest small town trick in the book. You were going to return your library uh, books with your 12 cent late fee and you are uh, cutting a swath through a shortcut via train tracks. I used to do that all the time. You know, I grew up in Ottawa. And those are all such Stephen King things. Big brother, little brother, walking yeah. through town that they know better than anyone, so they're taking the shortcut to yeah. the library. Where else would Stephen King kids go? Yeah. I mean, it's very dairy Maine, even though this takes place in the book in Connecticut and in the film. It's filmed around uh, Kansas, yeah. Missouri area. So it's a totally different place. It's not in the Stephen King multiverse, even when... A clown hands the younger boy a balloon and things like that. Like, there's a lot of Stephen King isms in this that make you want to put it into the multiverse. It just has so many tropes mm-hmm. boiled down. Like, I really would say that if someone's looking for a, a good approximation of Stephen King in film, this is it. This is really one of the best examples of something that was filmed outside of the current era. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I'm sorry I missed it because, like, I uh, I really enjoyed this movie. Like, I really liked the story quite a bit. I liked this idea of, um, I like this idea of 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 looking at generations who feel beholden to that script you're talking about. Feel beholden to, you know, because you can even tell that these uh, 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 greaser bullies, like, when shit breaks really bad, Wayne gets stabbed. You could tell that, you know, th- these guys, yeah, they're assholes and they're chattering and they're loud. They were just trying to scare them. They were just trying to, you know, get fucking money out of them. They, they were being typical bullies. They weren't trying to kill anybody. But like that, that fevered pitch of madness that happens in that scene. And then I mean, Mueller is the only survivor. Well, aside from Jim himself, but, mm-hmm. you know, and then we see what that's left with. And even Chip has a sort of come to Jesus moment later when he kind of realizes that when he's talking about getting even and talking about like, yeah, I'm going to kill him. The second he realizes that other people are serious is the second he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. He has a huge sea change because he's like, whoa, I was just blowing hot air. That's what I do. I'm a joke. I'm a joke. I'm just, 
I'm just a jock. I'm just a jock. That's his explanation for his yeah. behavior and his get out of jail free card. Do you feel? Do you feel like that Stephen King, like just like really not understanding what jocks are like, where he's just like, yeah, like he's just a he's just a jock. Yeah, yeah, I'll write that. Like that's. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know where to go with this kid. So. I don't know. Yeah. He's like, I think he has a football with him at all times. He's not going to talk much once I get him in the car. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, it's a this very, will be his last line. This will be his last line. I'm just, just a jock, guys. Um, but as as Madness mounts, you know, uh, much like an episode of Neon Rider, there's some tough teenagers that just start reaching out to the, 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 the hardball teach, who also has... You know, long feathered bangs, and oh yeah, Billy Stern. Yeah, Billy Stern, whose name should be something better than Billy, because yeah. Billy goes along with like Wayne and Jimmy and Billy, right? No, yeah, we want a name for this. He's the punk kid. He's, he's he's got the earring. He's got the the flak jacket that he probably got at an army surplus store. He's got he, ox blood docks. Yeah, he's got a fucking guitar on his back. He rides a bike. You know, he's. He's the town punk. He does listen to some sort of metal or punk or something or some sort of rock music. Although yeah. he starts talking about dust in the wind. Yeah, he's like speaking of Kansas. Uh, that's a, there's two yeah. there's two references to Kansas, not the band, but the place. Well, the band is one thing, and then there's um, uh, Chip is going to move to Kansas where where he's got a cousin or whatever. Uh, but yeah, he's he he doesn't want to talk. He doesn't want to end up. Dust in the wind. Or dust in someone's eye. True, yeah. He's um, been given this way too much thought for a punk kid whose name ought to be like Weasel. Or weasel, Rat, uh, Slug. Snake. snake, yeah. Slug. <laughs> slug. That would work. Worm. Something like, you know, it's like, or like, I'd even be like, folks call me Needle. Like, something like that. Like, you could. Yeah. No, exactly. That, yeah. that would fit much better than Billy. Yeah, Billy. It seems like it seems like somebody who probably is since he's the only punk, he doesn't really need to like like maybe if he encountered another punk he'd be like, Yeah, folks call me Weasel. I see. So and when people like that live in this town go to another town and they see punks, they're like, Look at all the Billies over there. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> exactly. I get it. That makes sense. They're all named Billy. But he is the first to go he gets run off the road. And by the way, he gets run off the road by this fucking kick ass car. It's the, and we see that it's the same car. It's like a Plymouth Fury, but yeah, bigger and bad, yeah. bad. I don't know cars. Me either. I wish I was a car guy. Is there a car like that does normally fart flames out of its ass? So, so you can mod a car to fart flames out of its ass. Because <laughs> that's uh, what this car does. This, it does. Like it, it is. It is like as evil as Christine, but all the time. Like if Christine had like evil ghosts. Yeah. Driving it. Evil ghost driving Christine. Oh, my God. See, that that would only make Christine better. So oh I get God. why people would like this so much. Yeah. I like it quite a lot, and I don't know why it's so unsung. Mostly among, like, people who like this sort of, like, kids against ghosts and the fucking 50s and greasers and uh, bullies getting their comeuppance, that sort of stuff. I would almost wonder if it didn't really hit the mark... Because it borrows, borrows is the wrong term. It has so many elements of other Stephen King movies that are just more iconic. Mm-hmm. So maybe, 
people would watch. I could even understand people watching this movie and kind of forgetting about it. However, I will say that like the big thing that I think would tie everyone to instantly remembering this is the car. I find the car very iconic. It's a, apparently a 1955 Chevrolet 150. That's cool. what it is. So it's not a Plymouth whatsoever. Okay, it's not a Plymouth, but like... It, he makes up car names too, Stephen King. Like He's got some Studebakers that he's made up and the Wraith isn't a real car. Oh, that's Joe Hill, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised that this Plymouth 150 actually exists. And I think if you look closely at this car, it probably has some other markers to it. Much like the train engine has a 999 number, like a 666, which always appears in almost every Stephen King movie, a 666 somewhere. Um, He does tweak the makeup of cars in his books and in film, so it doesn't exactly fit with what rolled off the assembly line. Yeah, but I like that. And it fits to this idea that these guys, whoever owned the car, we Richard Lawson, it was he was the one driving it all the time, so I could assume it was actually his. I guess so. Um, he probably was a dude that like probably modded his car, fixed it up. It clearly doesn't. It clearly has a custom paint job uh, that was present in 1963. It's got. It's like I wouldn't even say it's not flames, but it's things that evoke flames. Yeah, like a red and orange sort of uh, triangles, like jagged yeah. type thing. Uh, it's very cool. I love it, and no one else can see this car except for. If you're getting attacked by it and Jim himself. So it looks like Jim is trying to run this punk kid off the fucking road. It's hilarious in a way because we see what's going on and we can tell how it would look to the passerby and we're proven how it looks to the passerby with Billy cycling like hell is on his ass and yelling at something behind him. Now, help me, help me. And the yeah. only thing they see is, you know, uh, like 30, 40, 50 feet away driving. To try to catch up is Jim's, uh, like, it's like, a, it's not a, it's not a, a Volkswagen bus, but it'll kind of, I think it actually. Or like a little Econoline or something. Like yeah. Like a Econoline, Econoline. Yeah. Or, or something. Yeah. Uh, but, and he's honking and stuff and swerving a little, like, it, if you could imagine a car between them that is chasing down Billy, but there isn't one. No. And Billy goes ass over tea kettle over the fucking bridge and dies. Yeah. They show a nice broken body scene. It looks a lot like, what you'd imagine the body and stand by me. I was just going to say, yes, that, that's exactly what I was thinking of. The second that Billy dies, that he gets a transfer student into his class. His class of no good nicks has another no good nick. Perhaps the noiest no good nick. Although yeah, Richard Lawson. Richard Lawson, who shows up looking exactly like he did. And there, there's this moment where Jim is looking at him in a way that it's like, it can't be. He's, you know, that was... 27 years ago and those kids died and this kid looks just like him all the other kids seem to be like super enamored by this guy he's super super cool well he's cool he's good looking he talks back to the teacher in a sort of underhanded way a little more intelligent way than chip ever could muster so chip thinks he's a fucking god yeah but oh he's looking at him he's like i want to fuck this guy like seriously how he's looking that is and no one really cared about billy so to have somebody take billy's seat doesn't really matter to them doesn't phase them they don't want to talk about the dead student in their class yeah they don't really care because he was the punk kid he probably just you know stayed by himself and listened to uh you know his records and cassettes by himself and like never really talked to anybody and shit. That all changes when Kate mysteriously vanishes. Yeah. Jim meets up with Kate. He taking a stroll because oh, yeah. he's graduated now from house coat nightmares 
to full-on complete hallucinations of people killing children and yeah and yeah. insomnia like he, he he hasn't slept what she said three hours in the past four days or something yeah. so he's strolling around uh collecting his thoughts and bumps into kate downtown mm-hmm. and moments later she's she runs into these greasers she does but we don't see that well he sees it in a vision but he can't tell if that's real or not but then he basically alarms the police and says like we got to go fucking search for this person he had visions in a barn but he could hear of course all these the the laughter of one of them that will come back Mm -hmm. he can hear the things that they're saying and kate running through the field or something and run jimmy run (laughs) because everything ends with his brother warning him from beyond the grave yeah, and you can tell that that's going to be a recurring theme. They they meld a lot of elements in this the film that I actually really enjoy. Uh, I really enjoy the constant the the things the things that are constantly being uh, repurposed the the train noises the shoes the the rabbit's foot the like all of these like things that involved in this tragic event are manifesting themselves in the real world or he is hearing elements of them he's hearing crying he's hearing things from that day that day is essentially pushing its way back into the present uh as this sort of like grand unfulfilled thing and even from innocuous things like being transfixed by his son's toy train that happens to be emblazoned with an upside down 666 Mm -hmm. and hearing these noises and to the point of asking kate when he bumps into her that Mm -hmm. night is there still a train that runs through town here and she said no i grew up here and there's never been a train that runs through here so that's like a small subtle way that all this is pushing its way in to the larger ways of these students who look like the ones that killed his brother showing up in his class and everyone can see them mm. they're not <clears throat> apparitions they're not and i can tell you what else they're uh they're not they're not fucking around i almost feel like when vinnie vincent shows up vincent vincent you mean vincent vincent you show <laughs> what a mean trick to play on your kid are you yeah. that lazy yeah they're like the vincent vincent vinnie listen it's vincent. a family name uh i i get a sense that when vinnie shows up he seems way more like psychotic to me. Like, whereas I feel like uh, Lawson is a little bit more manipulative, even though he's the one that we see losing his shit the most and like, no one hits me and lives. Like, he's that type of person. Whereas, like, Vinny is almost like wild, like, like in terms of like pulling out the switchblade. There's no subtlety. And, and for a while, he does a lot of the talking. And there's there's several scenes with these bullies later where Vincent has the most dialogue out of everybody else. He really does. And it's not only because he has the most interesting face or anything like that, but he is the more personable and maybe the more trusting. Like, this is like almost a funny game sort of take on this particular character yeah. where he could talk his way into anywhere. And yeah. all he has to do is straighten his hair a little bit and put a tie on and get into Yale and he could blend and people would trust him. He looks younger. He looks more baby faced, more trusting his voice. Maybe he has a better vocabulary Mm -hmm. um, and he's not so preoccupied with things like his car, uh, combing his hair or killing uh, Jim <laughs> and and really he but like when Vinny shows up like that's like like no one in class is looking at Vinny like oh he's like this super cool guy like you can tell that they're like kind of afraid of him because he's like pulling a knife and he's not being subtle about the yeah, fact he's that a he, Paul Bernardo looking kind of guy yeah really and um 
there's just this uh, there's just something about him that I find so unnerving. It's like it's like a class of 1984 type vibe to him mm-hmm. to me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Very much so. We're with the other guy, Richard Lawson, or Rick, I guess. Yeah. We would go by our Lawson, I suppose. They yeah. call each other by last names, like jocks tend to. Yeah. Um, he's uh, like a Fonz character. I he suppose. is kind of like more like a Fonz. And, and, and even though uh, it's ironic, too, because Lawson looks like more out of time. And I think the only thing that makes him seem um like passable is the fact that, like, and I say this about night films in the 1950s, too. There's something so timeless about the look of even like what the cool kids were wearing. Cause it's just jeans. It's just a black uh, leather jacket. It's a white t-shirt. They're almost indistinguishable from lost boys. Exactly. Right. So like you could, you could see somebody and look at them and be like, Oh, he kind of looks like a weird greaser, but you wouldn't be like, that's a ghost from the 1950s. <laughs> like you're not going to say that. Whereas if someone came out totally looking like, uh, I'm going to go to the next Creep Show show and see how many ghosts from the 1950s are there. Are you Are you a ghost from the 1950s? The last Creep Show uh, uh, show I went to, that's a, a band, kids. I don't know if you you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, a, had some 1950s ghosts in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could believe it. For sure. Um, but you get this sense and it's almost like invasion of the body snatchers. One person dies. And then all of a sudden a greaser shows up. I love this world. Yeah. Cause poor Kate, people seem to care that her seat's empty, even though she was just as unlikable as far as a class full of jocks go. True. That rat weasel, uh, Billy was Billy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Kate her seat gets taken over by Vinnie Vincent, yeah. and no one seems to like that very much. That chip even says, like, oh, that was, that's Kate's seat. Yeah. And then Jim's like, he doesn't know that. Like, like anyone really honestly cares. You're all a bunch of jocks. You've said it yourself. Yeah. But we get this, this drift now that somebody dies, and then somebody comes back. There's also a, a, a drift. Uh, the police definitely think Jim is a murderer. <laughs> He shows up to town, two students in his class uh, die. He seems to have all this fucking information about it. It doesn't it doesn't dawn on them like at all that anything he says is true because he's not quiet about this. He's like, there's students in my class that were the kids that killed my brother. I don't know how they're coming back. I need to figure this out. But they are endangering my family. They're threatening me. They've killed two of my students and no one believes them, obviously. But the students that have been killed, like... I. We have another one coming up shortly. We do. Yeah. And that's because old... Uh, meanwhile, his his wife is super concerned. And, you know... Oh, he, he sounds like a fucking lunatic. He does sound like a fucking lunatic. He doesn't even do the thing what you're supposed to do. When you say something crazy, you don't say, I'm not crazy. <laughs> you, you, you say, I know this sounds crazy. It's like, I know this sounds crazy, but I know I'm not crazy. Please, you have to believe me or at least help me... like. Just be patient and, like, let's see. Okay, then, you sound too sane. Let's hear, give you a little cup of rage hall. Yeah. I'm not crazy. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay, bud, you're not crazy. Just what a crazy person would say. And while he, like, every night seems to be getting worse, he's not sleeping. He's starting to snap at his son. He's starting to snap at his wife. And that, and she just, and he and the son are both just saying, like, let's go, let's go go this was supposed to be a new start and it seems to be making things worse uh 
why you th- why he ever thought returning to his hometown where the 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 epicenter of his PTSD started would like help anything I don't know just like go farther but yeah but maybe it was he, the only job that would have him was, yeah he's uh, got the Jack Torrance problem he's got the yeah really um if he didn't break uh break his son's arm <laughs> no right and they have a pretty good relationship so there's no fear of that happening but these it seems to him that he's afraid that if these greasers for lack of a better term, get a hold of his son that they just might break his arm. They might, because they did try to, like, fucking kill him. Yeah, they tried to run him off the road, and no one seemed to see it. Right? No one seemed to see it. And also, like, the two... And, and this brings us to, like, what ends up happening to Chip. Chip comes to fucking Jim's door and is... T- like, he's... Like, he's seen a ghost. Yeah. Because he's seen a couple. A couple of 50s ghosts. A couple of 50 ghosts. He went to a creep show. show. <laughs> Yeah, he went to go watch Creep Show. He's like, "Am I dead or are they dead?" Are <laughs> the brains? If anyone's into some like Halloweeny tunes, I don't know if they're still an active band, but you can always go back on the internet and take a look at their their music, or go to Bandcamp and buy some. The Brains are another really good horror Billy band out there. Into it, they kind of look like these guys in a way. <laughs> um, Chip's terrified, and all of a sudden, the car shows up. And basically carries Chip away. Yeah, like it, it runs Chip over. He flips over the hood, and of course I'm giggling away because I'm like, if no one can see this car, this must look ridiculous. Yeah, this Chip is- just sailing through the air. <laughs> yeah, because they drive down Main Street with him. Yeah, and uh, like conveniently, no one's around. Just like no one was around when his son's like like, and and, and this brings me to my point. And also a really interesting moment in the movie because this is when the the ghost glamour, for lack of a better word, is dropped. And this is also where we meet North, who is the third rockabilly ghost. And he looks kind of like Dom DeLuise's son, whose name I can't remember. It was on the original 21 Jump Street television show. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't Um, remember his name. That's what he looks like. Yeah, but soon they're going to look even worse because they're going to drop their glamour and they're all fucked up. Yeah, for the most part, the guy that plays North, the the character of North, doesn't do this. And uh, by dropping glamour, uh, it it reminds me somewhat of how they uh, pull a face in Beetlejuice to try and scare people. Yeah. Um, Or in Pee-wee's Playhouse. uh, Large Marge. Large Marge. Yeah. Um, her face looked like this <laughs> and that sort of thing to try and scare people and it's also how they actually look right mm-hmm. so they are in the guise of the way that they used to look with normal skin in their day walking face so they show off the face and north says oh no that's kid stuff and Lawson's like, I'll do it. And his face looks pretty gnarly. He looks like a zombie Elvis or something. <laughs> he looks kind of like fucking, uh, what's his face? The main guy from Nightbreed. Yeah, yeah, uh, Boone. No, no. Well, he kind of looks like Boone. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like when Boone like ra- like rages out and yeah. he's got like his big head and shit. And he's just like, I don't wear a shirt, but I got a leather jacket. It's kind of like that. That's pretty much what he looks like. That's true. Um, then... Vinnie Vincent looks a little more torn up and yeah. a little more burnt. Yeah. Like he had gotten. Gooey too. Like, yeah. And then North does change. North is missing, like I said, entire portions of his head. His looks like half of his bottom jaw is gone. It looks like he's certainly got no eyelids. His eyes are like one eye is gone and the other eye is completely exposed. It looks like 
he was exploded pretty bad. Yeah. And I like that there's some difference between them. It's not just like one, they're not painted with one brush of this is what an mm-hmm. undead teen looks like. You can tell sort of what their injuries would have been mm-hmm. and the extent of their injuries. It might have been a practical reason too, just from the filmmaking standpoint, because of all of them, North would be the most complicated to shoot and the most expensive to constantly put on the screen because he, it looks like a full on animatronic. Yeah. Dummy. And they only show him a couple times in this film, but they also cover that up neatly with him being like, meh, that's kid stuff. He'd rather look whole again. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Because what ends up happening to these boys, I don't know if we even mentioned it, they get hit by a train. Oh, yes. And way back at the beginning, like, what's this movie even about anyway? Yeah, it's about... Careful what shortcuts you take, kids. Yeah, careful what shortcuts you take, because... people will try to rob you of 12 cents and then stab your brother and then a train will come down the train tunnel and you will steal the car that has a lucky red rabbit's foot on it and the greasers will explode when a train hits them see when we were watching this i knew wes had never seen it i've seen it a good handful of times but Upon watching the first recollection that we see during uh, Housecoat Nightmares, what happened to these two kids when they were walking Wayne and Jim when they were kids, uh, Wes had said, this is mostly like through the eyes of a kid. I doubt it even happened like this because we're talking about the things that the bullies were saying, how textbook bully they were by rote. And I was like, oh, no, this is... And and me knowing, I didn't want to give it away. Like, oh, you got to pay attention to all the little things, the keys drop and the switch blade, and you got to pay attention to all these things mm-hmm. and the, the sound of the train in the distance because this is exactly how it happened. It's one thing I like about the scene with the way that things go down is that it is pretty memorable and partially because it is so textbook and the bullies are saying bully things and the little nerd kids are saying little nerd kid things. And a lot of what it, like feels like is that Stephen King took all of these bully stories and uh, young kids getting their comeuppance stories and just boiled them down into one perfect archetype and that's why it sort of rolls off the tongue the way that it does even their death like they chase down the kids like bullies would they razz them a little bit take their shoes throw them up on things oh, yeah, yeah yeah and then do and say the things that bullies do accidentally stab a kid like bullies might by accident and then the younger kid grabs the keys that were dropped by accident and and runs maybe partially because those bullies deserve to have their keys stolen on the other hand not fully realizing the extent of what's going to happen because the train is coming Mm -hmm. and it's just all this confluence of circumstance and bad decisions on the parts of the older kids and accident on part of the younger kids or maybe they should have just thrown their 12 cents and run right it's so it's so um yeah i i suppose it's easy to look at it from the perspective of had they just given the guy that the, the, the their 12 cents which was literally the only money that they had um they could have just like not died and no one would have died that day but i mean they couldn't have known that at the time but we're always taught to stick up for ourselves we are taught to stick up for ourselves but when it comes to you and your young brother versus very much essentially just adults yeah who and there's four of them and there's two of you and there's no one around and they have a knife then you could probably just assume that uh you could just give them the 12 cents and that'll be fine Mm -hmm. uh as i always said 
when I was uh, training people in um, robbery scenarios, like if someone has a gun or someone has a knife, I would always emphasize to people, I was like, the times to try to disarm someone who is pointing a gun at you is the time in which you believe that they will literally take your life. Um, otherwise, your best gun defense is to hand them your wallet. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with a knife. If someone is trying to rob you, just give them a wallet. That's all replaceable. It's annoying, but it's all replaceable. You can't be replaced. However, if someone is just going to stab you, I will show you how to take a knife from someone and shove it up their ass. But at the same time, like... You might get stabbed in the process. You might get stabbed in the process. And always, like, especially with gun defense, I was always just like, expect the gun to go off. The gun will go off. Mm -hmm. So you have to, like, be prepared for the gun to go off because it'll go off. Because you're going to put your hands on a gun that's loaded. Theoretically, and it's going to go off. So, um, so those are things that you always have to like pay attention to. But so for in this scenario, I can kind of see it. But what I do like about this and the fact that it is such a, a conflation of circumstances, it is such a tragedy, not just because like, you know, these are bullies that like things went way too far. Things got out of hand. They egged each other on. And then all of a sudden someone, a little kid gets stabbed and they know that they're fucked. Um, and then they happen to die in that moment. This really goes back to this tragedy of of death and the fact that they're so locked into that moment, so locked into the past. Because Stephen King, not subtly, is telling a story about much like Pet Cemetery about not being able to let things go, the death of loved ones. Um, and tragedy in your past. And it's not only Jim either. Like he said, when he first moves into town, the house that they lived in has remained abandoned since the day they moved away. And he doesn't even know why. Like, no one in town seems to be able to let go of this tragedy. Mm -hmm. Except for, of course, the generation that he's now teaching that has no fucking clue what what happened at all. It's all rumors and hearsay. Mm -hmm. and, and, And they're really more concerned with they're really more concerned with the stories about him from from a previous town that he lived in where he was a ragehead teacher, which again is interesting because it's it's like he goes back to a place of tragedy to leave uh, the past again. Like he's constantly running from the past. He left that town to run from the past and he returned to that town to run from his past. Just to, mm-hmm. so, and it's No, all, who can't run no more? Who that? Chip. <laughs> Chip, Chip. Let me ask you this: You are a, you are a woman who has engaged in a lot of true crime in her entire life. You think about the macabre on a on a I was going to say daily basis, but minute by minute basis. Yes. And um, if someone has a switchblade knife, how long ghost ghost rockabilly magic notwithstanding? How long do you think it would take to dismember a full-grown man with a stabbing knife? With a switchblade. And it's a pretty dull switchblade, too. It's not a serrated switchblade. No. I mean, it would only take slightly less long as it would if it was a, a novelty comb switchblade. Maybe 12 hours. Like, it would take a long fucking time. Not 12 minutes. And not even less. It seems to take 12 seconds because what they've done is invited chip along with them and explain to him in their joking way like not only hey we're we're undead (laughs) look at our faces gory uh you're gonna die anyway so it doesn't matter because you're gonna die so north can come back because that's how this works right they explain all that to him north is in the car now too Mm -hmm. so they chop him up with a switchblade and throw the pieces of his body 
over the bridge laughing the whole way and it's great it's hilarious it's not as gory as you'd want it to. no it's more cartoonish like yeah. it's it's like it's 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 like they're dumping out like the popcorn from the movies that they didn't want to eat anymore just like just like chucking it out just like leg arm in to- whole torso still wearing the letterman jacket yeah and just throw it over the bridge and they laugh and it's hilarious and they did all that with a switchblade it's so good but it's one way to get rid of a jock, right? And no one seems to care. No one mentions Chimp's missing. We There is a point in this story where we don't see police investigation anymore. They're just kind of done with that aspect of the story. And I understand that if you want to tell... Uh, if you want to tell a story where, you know, what are the police really going to do? And also, as I was going to point out, both times when Chip and uh, Chip died... Uh, Jim had a rock solid alibi. He was at the police station when that happened. And when uh, his son gets attacked, he wasn't even there. And his son could corroborate. It was people in a black car, which is exactly what Jim has been describing. So there's two other pits of like solid evidence or like circumstantial or not, however you want to look at it, that there is something going on and Jim would not be the killer. Uh, and but so that seems to be satisfying enough and like so much shit breaks bad that it's kind of undeniable that Jim while it's suspicious uh could clearly not be there Jim but the, there's no more cops in this story anymore no one's mourning the death of the teenagers uh because Jim's got this whole thing fucking figured out somehow he and I've always un, like disliked this about stories I mean I what I really like I really like what I find unique is that he has yet another student in his class that's transferred in from Milford yeah. and they keep saying that and no one looks up where Milford is no one cares where Milford is all the teachers seem to think that this is perfectly normal and him acting as untoward as he is toward these students and like he sees them in the boys' room, smoking cigarettes. Smoking and then, in the boys' room. Yeah, really. You want to get any more 50s than that? Like, Motley Crue, thanks. <laughs> and he looks in the mirror, and they're not there. And, like, so there's, they're definitely fucking 50s ghosts. Yeah. And he treats them with violence because they are threatening him and his life and his children's life and the lives of his students. So he's acting totally rationally from our point of view, but not to anyone else. So he's got to figure it out himself. The way he, what he figures out, there's no fucking proof that this will work. It does help that the only cop that would believe him is the cop that saw him running from his brother's death as a child is still alive and still in town. Man, I really, I remember turning to you while we were watching this and I was like, because you've been, you've written down like what, 50 Stephen King tropes about like Mm -hmm. what all these things and i was like you know what this is missing to be the most stephen kingy stephen king thing ever we need some teens we need some teens to like help him crack the case yeah. and and believe him and shit like that like and then instead he gets like a sage old man he gets a sage old man and i was like oh my god okay this totally works too like it's like you need an old man who was there who knows something now he doesn't have negro magic which is another really good trope to yeah. use he's just an old cop bob Nell, and yeah. there's other cops named officer Nell in the stephen king multiverse but as far as i know these aren't related but bob Nell is in a nursing home he's no longer a cop uh, because, but even before you would think, oh, he's just aged out of it. No, he got shot in the head during a, a, a bank robbery. And 
that has caused him to see things between worlds. So from the other side, who should visit him but Wayne? And you would ask yourself, would it not be more logical that a ghost who would appear to this man would be someone who, well, I don't know, like actually was part of this man's life, like perhaps his grandfather (laughs) or like an old lover or his mom, his childhood dog, like anything. No, No, it's it's this, (laughs) it's Jim's brother. He didn't even see die. He's not traumatized by this. If if he's traumatized by anything that happened between Jim and Wayne, it was Jim running down the road crying. Yeah, and being like, hey, Jim, what's wrong? (laughs) It's like, I'll never forget that day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen a kid so sad. (laughs) He was running, and I I knew he lost his library books. But, But... no, this guy's got some magic. And and this is kind of, I agree, this is all very convenient. This definitely seems like they're just out of runtime. And, and what they wanted to pull the taffy on was not these scenes. They kind of wanted to set up a problem. Jim kind of not know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, Jim just knows what's going on. Yeah. He's going to go and talk to the right person who has the right information. And then he's going to conclude that what he requires, what this is is he needs to duplicate. He needs to reenact this thing. That's what they can't... To what end? Because theoretically, if you were to enact this exactly how it went, then the same thing would happen. The event in question was the tragic event that locked everyone into purgatory in the first place. Yeah. So what What would doing it again prove? And what proof do you have that it would work? Yeah, we were using some comparisons about other ghost-based stories. Everything from The Ring to uh, The Woman in Black to these things where like, you think that you know what's going to stop the ghost and then it makes it way fucking worse. Or it just doesn't do anything whatsoever. And they laugh at you. And they laugh at you. And these ones would get a kick out of that because they're laughy daffies. They are very... They're cackly for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, wild. They, they really like beef each other up and they they're really like really more than anything they really just want to scare people like they're almost like groovy ghoulies in the sense that like it seems like they don't really even want to kill anybody they really just want to like scare you they do they do and as far as we've understood the one thing that officer nell does well aside from sending him on his little crusade is clears up for us where the fuck milford is yeah, where yeah. is it? Milford is a cemetery. Yeah. Yeah, they're transferring in from Milford. And that's why they, when they say it, by the time Vinnie Vincent says it, he has kind of a smirk to him. But then by the time North says it, it's a fucking funny joke that we don't get. Yeah. And when we're told where it is, it's... Uh, You'd think yeah. that anyone, like any of these uh, people that saw these students transferring and saying that they were coming in from Milford, they'd be like, oh, it's named after the cemetery that's in our town. Weird. Yeah, no. Uh, or Mil- we have a penitentiary called Milford here in Ontario. So that's where I would think of first. It's like, I don't want the good, no good nicks from Milford. Thank <laughs> you very much. But it's a cemetery. So he goes racing to the cemetery because there's a name missing. We had seen four bullies in the car yeah. all this time. And I was racking my brain because I was like, is this it? Because we're all out of teens that we had that had names in the class. So you would assume, like, well, what are they going to do? Like, kill one of these 
No, no other teen was named. So why would we care if another one of these teens dies? We won't. So this must be all of them, right? But wasn't there more? Yeah. Roll call. You got Lawson. Lawson. Vincent. Vincent. North. North. Mueller. 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 I'm glad we both caught that. <laughs> um, Mueller didn't die. Mueller didn't die. There was one of them scrambling out of the door of the car and scrambling off to the side when the train hit in the original recollection that we see during Housecoat Nightmares. And we never did know who did and didn't make it. But you would think someone would have fucking mentioned, especially because Jimmy Boy is so embroiled in the past and keeps narrating shit for us. Yeah. But he never narrated that for us. No, and we were left to assume. I, I think it was purposeful, right? They did. They wanted us to assume that everyone. I suppose died. because we get told this by the ghouls themselves. Yeah, that's what they're waiting. They need things to be perfect. They need everyone to be present, including Mueller, who Jim will track down, and um, who's just living in a trailer park, basically. Yeah, played by Bill or William Sanderson. Yeah. That was also in Blade Runner. Yeah. And uh, he does a really good job in this this film. He's got a nice speech uh, when they go back up to the house that I actually really liked. And and again, it, it, it gives me, it adds credence to my theory that this really is about like people sticking to a script and then like just getting carried away with this idea this the the in a group setting this group mentality mob mentality uh because Mueller is like you know and like Jim is like is this what happens to fucking tough guys that you know pick on kids like they just become like fucking failures and blah blah okay he's got a point um that and and again that definitely seems like something very Stephen Kingy like no well, you were all mean to me and uh, now I'm the big time writer and you're all dorks now who's a nerd yeah yeah but you I mean look back I look back at my high school life and I don't really care which one of you are listening to this but it kind of comes to pass that way yeah I think the most people's lives are kind of unremarkable it's rare that people um, kind of like rise above any station yeah um, but I think that um I also like um um I don't know if it's cynicism or if it's or if it's just like I wasn't really bullied my in my life so uh I was always just so much bigger than everybody. You're lucky in that way but you could yeah. put your people self in the shoes of those for who sure, were and sure. look back at those you know who were yeah. the worst um, yeah. their nemesis so to speak yeah. and see how their lives panned out just from a purely objective point of view but looking back at a lot of people who have stayed in the same town, have retread the same paths, Mm -hmm. have sort of belied the fact that they're aging and not looked in a mirror all this time. This is what Mueller has been doing. Instead of looking in a mirror, he's been looking to the past and uh, really lending something to the idea of uh, nostalgia being an illness. He goes and parks outside of Wayne's old family home. Just watches it fall apart like his life. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Deep. I liked it. I liked that deep line. Deep shit from a shallow man. <laughs> deep shit from a shallow man. I think it's just like a lot of a dude that spent a lot of time just like looking and thinking, and, and it's like next thing you know, you know, he's probably doing it. He did it a couple of times when his friends just died, and he's just thinking about everything that happened. And then twenty, almost thirty years passes by, and you're still doing it. And and you know, time kind of like gets away from us uh, when we're kind of living in that horror. 
And again, this is, uh, what ends up happening is is uh, these uh, rockabilly ghosts basically like get Mueller to to go with them to like you need to be part of this, and he's scared, and you can see that he's going along with it, but he doesn't really want to go along with it. You had a really good point while we're watching it. Like you get this idea that he's like used to like these guys, but now he's older and he looks back at them and he sees them for what yeah. they were, and he's like, I don't really fucking like you guys anymore. yeah it was just like yeah they were my friends yeah and i i always got the sense it's like he probably missed him he's like do i feel bad that like that we accidentally killed someone do i also feel bad that my friends are dead i miss my friends but we did a terrible thing so maybe it's better they're gone and then when he's like standing amongst them he definitely Mueller acts like the sober guy at a party full of fucking drunk morons yeah exactly like and 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 i would get that sense too like like that's how come like i'm not i never idolize my high school days they weren't terrible, but they weren't like amazing either. But at the same time, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, I would want to go back to high school so bad." No, I wouldn't. I, I would just, like you know, some people are like, "I want to go back with like the mind I had now." That would drive you crazy. You'd kill yourself because like. <laughs> I was invited to a um, there's a reunion happening, a 50 year reunion. So it's not just a reunion of my class by any means, but it's to celebrate. Like before, it used to be a different high school in North Bay that my mom used to attend. And then they split into Catholic school board and French school board right, okay. to English. And the English school became this, the high school I went to. So they're having their 50 year reunion. So the actual school is a lot older, but my particular school where it has been built and where it stood for 50 years is having a reunion. And I got an invite and it was just, I, I looked at the Facebook invite for a couple days because it was just creepy and horrible. And there were a few people that I thought were pretty cool that I wouldn't mind getting back in touch with, but I can do that. You can reach out and get in touch with these people Yeah. at any fucking time. If they had wanted to get in touch with you, they may have by this point. A reunion isn't going to change that. A reunion is, in my point of view extremely sad is a very pathetic thing to to want to do so i disinvited myself from that facebook group <laughs> as fast as i could after a couple days of just morbid curiosity yeah i'd be curious too i've never been invited to a reunion i think i vaguely remember there was like a 10-year high school reunion or something i have like no interest in yeah i have no interest and, and again it's not like anybody did anything to me that like makes me like not want to see them but at the same time i don't really want to see too many people anyways i already i'm i'm all stocked up on friends i wouldn't be traumatized by any of the people who had clearly and 100 percent traumatized me the several people mm. uh but i don't care enough for yeah. there's no comeuppance to be had yeah i, don't, I also don't care no. like it, it, it just seems a uh, waste of time sounds but I, I i pathetic also sounds meaner than i would say but it definitely seems like i have i have better things to do well Mueller was dragged to this school reunion because he doesn't seem to be the person who had any inkling of, of revisiting the past other than the the weird drunks lament of sitting outside this abandoned house mm. and when he the, they basically the, the the these rockabilly bullies basically come Rockabullies. 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 Yeah, they're rockabullies. The rockabullies go to Jim's fucking house and like start terrorizing people. Like terrorizing his wife, terrorizing his son. Like Jim now has Mueller's gun, so he tries to shoot uh, 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 Lawrence. Lawson. Tries to shoot Lawson. 
Uh, can't kill what's already dead though, so it's a lot of like classic shit. I also like that in this scene for some reason Lawson's the only one that's transformed, like dropped his glamour and shit. Yeah, and the rest of them are just like normal looking. Yeah. He uh, likes to look like that. He true, and it does scare people, so there's that. So for some reason Jim gets a chance to speak at the ghost of his brother Wayne, who comes through the celestial vaginal portal between the afterworld and here. To what? Tell him fucking nothing. He comes through only to show that he can come through. And at that time, the Rockabullies can tell someone's coming through. So you do get this glimpse that there is a larger uh, universe of, of the undead that they're in commune with. And mm-hmm. that we have been able to break through to on this particular hallowed night of September 14th or whatever the fuck day it is. Uh, the beginning of school. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like that the story sort of neatly misses Halloween. I wish that it would like have extended to Halloween, but I guess they can only be terrorized by rockabilly ghosts for so many days. But um, Wayne has come through at one point and Wayne somehow lets Jim know that the rockabillies can't go into church. Yeah. I don't know if I blinked and missed this portion. I think I, mi- I missed it too. All I know is that when they tried to set their f- foot into it, they ignited into flames and this actually looked like it hurt them. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, when Lawson got shot and it didn't really seem to, and the force of the bullets knocked him back, but he didn't seem hurt whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then they're just like hollering outside with sticks. Mueller's got a stick. He doesn't seem that his heart's not that into <laughs> his it. His heart's not that. He's also like 60 and alive. Yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't have that youthful, uh, rockabilly vigor that uh, he needs. Well, he's not 60. He looks 60, though, I'll tell you that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a harder life. Yes. Yeah. They just want to scare them. They just want to scare them, and then they just want to prove to Jim that they can get to him. So it's better for Jim if he were to just acquiesce to what he, they want, which is to bring him back to this place. But Jim's got a couple of silver bullets, let's say. No, that's right. Because somehow he has the twelve cents and the library books that were dropped, and the keys to the car in a cigar box in his dilapidated home underneath the floorboards. I'm like, because that's that's what weird Stephen King fifties kids did. They put all their you know aside from nudie mags and pictures of Rita Hayworth. They would put like weird shit in cigar boxes yeah did you like, ever have a cigar box of weird shit under the floorboards in your i had a shoe box like that bare naked lady song the shoe box of lies um fucking no i had a shoe box that it didn't have private stuff in it it just had like junk in it i can't even like i'm trying to remember whatever but it's not like a, it's not like i had like a fucking secret floorboard full fill of like filled with like fucking playboys and like captain billy's whiz bang or whatever the no, fuck. really and things that might de- defeat a demonic ghost yeah like is- i have a little wooden box of little mementos but it's mostly just like little stuff that i like because i don't have a jewelry box because i don't wear jewelry really mm-hmm. but i have like a poppy from a remembrance day that my mom had made a That's long cool. time ago but i don't think that i could throw that at a ghost and have it disappear you never know i don't know but she did give me a little tiny Bible. It's a keychain Bible. It's about an inch by a half an inch. It's tiny, tiny. You put it on like Evil Ed's head. And yeah. And you'd be like, oh. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Lids. 
Because we're in the end game now. Because for some reason, like, well, the Rockabillies like managed to kidnap Jim's wife and yeah, son. they tricked them. Yeah, they tricked like tricked Trilloquism. Yeah, well, that's fine. It's like that happened in like that's happened in movies before. Like you know, He Man, the Masters of the Universe and shit. So they do get lured outside and then locked in the car. They're trying to stick to a script and they start duplicating. And I love this scene actually quite a bit. I love the scene where where Jim is coming to the train tracks. And he's basically reciting the words that, that him were said. and his brother, yeah, because he's walking with the, the same books, the, the books. They had to return, and he's like, "What's three times two times two? It's yeah. twelve. Oh, you're pretty smart, smartest in the family. Yeah, and that's the same conversation that we saw yeah, them having. Like, we're not taking the tunnel, are we? Yeah, it's faster, and it really goes to show you that I know that he's been living with these memories for a long time, but clearly repeating them like he has a crystal clear memory of everything that was said everything that was done and he just goes into it and even now with the the bullies like um when they're all in there together and they start doing the lines of dialogue i love like the first sequence when i first saw the scene when it was happening quote unquote in real time uh Mm -hmm. I thought a lot of the lines were cheesy and I thought the scene was like not, it just seemed so, how to say it? It seemed almost like a, like a farce of some kind. Like, like just paint by numbers, like you, sissies with their books. Sissies with their books. And it almost seemed like if you were trying to do a joke about like a classic, like bully scene, then this was kind of what you would do. It's so performative. Yeah. And, and whereas now they changed the, the lighting is different. It seemed eerier. It seemed more isolated. And the way that they were delivering the lines, even though it was the same dialogue, was so much more convincing. And I was just like, I was like very into this sequence. And then like the, the, the haunting sound of the train that they keep hearing. And then when they break character and you see North and Vinny to like say like come on say that like you're supposed to say the thing you're supposed to like you know stick to the script and shit like that and then you're really wondering like how is this supposed to work like i was yeah. so yeah i was so into it like i was so just like how is this supposed to i don't understand how this is supposed to do anything um the biggest missing component is that wayne is not there there is a problem with this because Wayne is dead. It's that not anyone like- could see coming through. And like even North makes a joke about it well before they're rehashing the scenario with like, well, I guess Wayne's a no-show. Ha ha. Yeah. And the 50s ghost thinks it's funny. But it's we're sitting back thinking, then what are you supposed to accomplish? Yeah. Who are you going to stab? Yeah. I was like, you're supposed like, are you supposed to stab Jim? Jim? And then, so the idea is like, well, you're all going to come back with us. Like you're all going to, like you're going to go to this afterworld. I guess, or like they'll be able to rest or move on. Like I'm not fucking. Or is there a point to never rest, and they're just going to come back to this town every year now and kill somebody? Yeah, that's it, what I want. Them to that's do. what I would assume too, because I think what these bullies really represent is the 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 peak of 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 not being able to get past trauma, not be able to get past a tragic event, because they are doomed to relive it and to destroy people's lives. So by hanging on to these things, by like the rabbit's foot keychain and the library books and the 12 cents, and by revisiting that house all of the time on Mueller's behalf, and by, you know, 
looking mournfully for this train down this abandoned tunnel that's what's bringing them back i think that's what's bringing them back i think that it's this this inability because that's classic ghost lore right the ghosts uh, ghosts who die in tragic events or who don't aren't aware of their death relive the moments of their last lives over and over again without moving on it's always like this idea uh, ghost stories to me are always about like trying to tell people who are still alive to move on from things uh you can't progress if you're just wallowing in one place essentially haunting your own memories Mm -hmm. but um so I think that's what this is. And I agree with you. I think that what would happen is they would kill Jim and then next year they would all just be back again. And that's what would happen, honestly. Especially if somebody mourned Jim. It'd be all his wife's fault then. Exactly. So you, uh, or like perhaps like 27 years from now, it'll be his son. Son comes back mm-hmm. uh, to, to visit this place where his father died. Uh, but in this sense... Um, Mueller is basically going to come back to his senses and kind of realize that what he didn't do that day was stop this madness and say, okay, these are just kids and we're you're like, well, let's leave them alone. So he probably was able to finally enact what he always wanted to do. Like I wish instead of living with this pain for 27 years about this tragic event that I took part in, like he literally was the person that punched Wayne in the face. Yeah. Um, like he can, he's like, I wish I died that day and he'll get his wish like his life traded for the one that tragically was killed because of him. And Wayne is able to come back pull through that portal with Mueller's death when, uh, Lawson again, just a fevered pitch of, of of anger and frustration, like kills his friend, and that breaks everyone out of it again. But he's like, you know, you saw it, you saw it. I had to, like, you know, it was that again that rationale. Yeah, I'm I'm following the script. Yeah. Uh, this is what I am, and this is what I do. Yeah, it's like no one hits me and lives. That's a thing that he says two different times in this movie, and that definitely seems like he hit me, and I just said that, so I have to fucking yeah. do, because why did I just say that? You know what I mean? It's all about this bravado. And when Wayne comes back, you would think, oh, shit, he's going to like have like uber good ghost powers. Nah, he's, he doesn't really seem... He's kind of like a simple-minded ghost, too, because yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't know he's dead, for yeah. one. He doesn't know what's going on. He is following the script. Yeah, he is following the script. And, you know, thankfully, the thing that they're missing is that key, that rabbit's foot. And so they'll never get off the line. And even though, like, Jim's wife and son are trapped in the car, they get out of it. And the ghost train. The ghost train. See, we're thinking this is all for moot because it doesn't matter. There's no train anyway. There hasn't been a train through here for 20 years. Mm Mm-hmm. I love the shot of the ghost train with that red backlight. Super cool. Yeah, it is super cool. Super cool scene. And I think that um, this is one shit, like, it becomes very chaotic. And you can see that um, the one th- the one powers that the ghosts don't have is the ability to think outside the parameters of their own obsession. And I think all the living characters have the ability to, like, break out of this cycle where I feel like the rockabillies are just trapped in it. Mm-hmm. And that's how come Jim and his family are able to get away. Whereas the rockabillies can't it, like, it's like they, they're just, they're just locked. And that was part of their problem in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So when, so, and like, who knows if this is over, but at the very least, like, you know, Jim can take his family and get the fuck out of there. And he, stop mourning the past so much because he does have a final moment with his brother. Yeah. And this is where I think that they're making that moving on thing, like painfully obvious, yeah. where I was like, if anyone missed it, 
you are going to literally have a scene in which the ghost asks his brother to come with him and Jim has to sort of like fighting back tears say like you know I can't I have a life now it's been 27 years and it's almost like yeah man it's been 27 years you have a wife and a kid they need you and his wife even chimes in like your brother loved you very much now run along little ghost run along little ghost because you can't you know you can't uh, and instead of um, and that's like the nice thing was like this like one of these mementos uh, go from being essentially a cursed object that he kept locked in a box in a house that was falling apart becomes a keepsake that he gives to tra- gives to his son say these are lucky coins hold on to them which a kid loses about a week later I'm sure because yeah kid, right? I was good with keeping stuff that my parents gave me like that I would but I would be like oh thanks and I would put them in a thing and then that would be like where that belongs because I would never be like we had a curio cabinet for that so if anyone gave us a thing like that it went in the cabinet that was for that sort of stuff yeah not your pocket where i suspect that jim has kept those coins all these years (laughs) in his pocket yeah but anyhow yeah Uh, one thing i really liked about this film was one of the techniques used with animal noises whenever the bullies were on screen for the most part Mm -hmm. when the bullies were on screen and i kind of wish that every time i turned around there'd be like the sound of an eagle claw eagle claw yeah, cutting through the air. Sound of an eagle screeching in the air, or if I looked at somebody angrily, there would be a bear growl out from somewhere, mm-hmm. or you know, whenever I stood up, you'd get like this wolf howl kind of sound. Yeah, it's, a, it's like it was interesting. A lot of the guys were associated with animals, and and there was that moment, and that's how come I was thinking like. Well, originally when we watched the scene and there was animal noises were in it, that's how come I thought, oh, this is from a kid's perspective. This is what these men looked like to a kid, essentially the same way that if you were like facing down a grizzly bear or a tiger or something, just this impossible killing machine that you can't do anything against. So you basically have to succumb to its power, like play dead, essentially, uh, to try to survive something, but you can't fight it. Um, and look what happened to my brother, who was like my older brother, my protector, but even he is just like this small thing and can like be manhandled by these things. And so like, I think that that's how, that's how come my brain was twisting it into like, I wonder how accurate this even is, mm-hmm. but it must've mm-hmm. been a hundred percent accurate because you know, the way that the, it needed to duplicate itself, but he still saw, he still heard those animal name or noises when these bullies were around. So I wonder if he was just like super, just super into animal association. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be because I had looked it up to see if it was like a trope in Dino De Laurentiis films, and not that I could really discern, but that is exactly what it seems to be: is that the kid was threatened, and what is the most threatening thing to man is the predators, mm-hmm. and that's what they seem to be being, right? So I think it's a really good, a really valuable back to school story that most people should watch and i mean unlike not unlike mean girls isn't it mean girls where they yeah they do like the, yeah they do in the lunchroom good, yeah good pull good yeah pull. i've not, never really cared for that film i know like i love mean girls but like mm-hmm. like I, I figured like if you're gonna reference anything about school and bullies and shit like where's where's your heather's reference i know right maybe we should watch heather's for the show next instead of what we're gonna watch next which is what we're gonna watch trick-or-treat as i already mentioned so it's no big surprise here but heading into the halloween season and heading out of some really good classic stephen kingy horror that has to do somewhat one of the main stories with kids and fitting in and things like that we're gonna 
revisit that under a Halloween theme mm-hmm. trick or treat. Yeah, and I think um, I know that the the film Trick or Treat is a fan favorite amongst horror fans, and uh, I know I can think of at least a couple of people off the top of my head that have been wanting us to hit this movie for a while. Yeah, definitely one that lives in this house. My Halloween fan himself, Chris. You got a you got a framed uh, photo or picture of uh, Sam right over there. Yep, and he has the soundtrack as well mm-hmm. that we've enjoyed last Halloween. And um, we, I don't. I'm going to revisit some of the shorts that are related to this, mm-hmm. and some the animated shorts that feature Sam. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But until then, I'm Wes Knight, and I'm Typical Lydia, and you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>